0: Hello and welcome to another edition of St. Pete's on Repeat, the online sermon archive of St. Peter Lutheran Church in St. Albert, Alberta, Canada. This sermon was preached on August 21st, 2022, as we are wrapping up our summer sermon series on the Lord's Prayer this Sunday, looking at the sixth petition, And Lead Us Not Into Temptation. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Can you finish this expression? You can't stop birds from flying overhead, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. Just yesterday morning, I counted 19 magpies between the parsonage and the church. I thought I was in an Alfred Hitchcock movie you know, most of the time I don't mind magpies, they do their thing, I do mine. But as I sat down at my desk to get some work done, I-, I kept hearing a noise. Bang! 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 The magpies kept flying into the windows. At first I thought I could just wait them out. They would figure it out eventually, right? Not so much. Maybe it was the repeated concussive force on their tiny bird skulls or their pea-sized brains to begin with, but it just kept happening. Bang! 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 What would you do in a situation like that? I just opened the front door. As soon as they saw me outside, they flew away, never to bang their silly bird heads on the glass again. At least, not yesterday. Yesterday. This morning they were back out there. If I had to guess, I would assume they'll be out there again tomorrow. Temptations are kind of like those magpies. There are so many of them, and they're everywhere. Just about at any moment of your life, you could look out the window and count one or two or 19 of them. You might successfully scare them off one day, but they'll be back the next and the day after that, and the day after that. You can't stop the birds from flying overhead. But you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. The sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer is all about temptation. Perhaps unsurprisingly, temptation is a major theme in the Bible. God has a lot to say about it, what it is, what it looks like, how he dealt with it and how we should let's start at the beginning what is temptation our catechism proposes this definition temptation is any situation in which someone may be led into sin false belief or despair Now, there are a lot of situations that could lead someone into sin, false belief, or despair. We don't have time today to identify each and every temptation. But we do have time to identify temptation's origin, and I think that's important. In other words, where does temptation come from? The Bible has some answers. There's this one from Revelation chapter 12. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. According to Revelation, where does temptation come from? The devil. In fact, you could say that temptation is the devil's main occupation. He spends all his time trying to lead you astray, trying to lead you to sin or some false belief, Or even to despair. Are any of you boxing fans? Even if you're not, do you know what a one-two punch is? It's a combination of punches. That first punch is not meant to be the knockout blow, it's just setting you up so that the second punch can be even more devastating, can catch you off guard at a time and place when and where you are most vulnerable. The devil has a devastating one-two punch and I think a great example of it is the very first sin we read about in the whole Bible you might remember some of this from from Genesis chapter 3 now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made he said to the woman did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden you know long before he ever points out the forbidden fruit Or tempts Eve to take a bite what is the devil tempting Eve to do here he's tempting her to doubt God and specifically to doubt that a certain action would be sinful to her credit Eve gives a great answer the woman said to the serpent we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. If so far so good, Eve gives a good answer, but the devil's not done. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. What did the devil convince Eve to think about the fruit that God had forbidden them to eat? He convinced her, and Adam, who was with her, that eating it wouldn't be so bad, in fact, eating it would actually be really good. The first part of the devil's devastating one two punch is to convince us that sin isn't so bad. Or convincing us that doing something that God forbids would actually be really good or fun or pleasant. The first part of the devil's devastating one two punch is to convince us that sin is no big deal. And then he throws the haymaker. In the moment of temptation, the devil convinced Adam and Eve that their sin would be no big deal. How did he make them feel about their sin after they committed it? They felt horrible about it. So much so that they tried to cover themselves with leaves and hide it from God. First, the devil convinces us that sin is no big deal then once we've committed that sin, he convinces us that it was such a big deal and that God will be so mad at us for doing it that he'll never love us again. Temptation is the devil's way to drive a wedge between us and our God, and sadly, all too often, he succeeds. Which of the devil's lies do you believe? Which sinful desires drag you away and entice you to sin? It's different for each of us. It's different within each of us at different times in our lives. When we're quite young, between the crib and college, let's say, what's a common temptation? I'd suggest disobedience and disrespect to people in positions of authority. How about when we're a little older, between puberty and parenthood, what's a common temptation at that time of life? For lack of a better word, how about the lusts of the flesh? Things like adultery or overindulgence, anything that makes me feel good. What about when we're in the middle of our lives, busy with careers or kids? What's a common temptation then? The fear or worry or preoccupation with security, stability, safety. What about when we're mature? when the kids are long gone from the house or after we've retired, what's a common temptation then? How about pride or despair? Which are really just two sides of the same coin. Temptations are like magpies. There are so many of them and they are everywhere. Just about at any moment of your life, you could count one or two or 19 of them You might successfully scare them off one day, but they'll be back the next, and the day after that, and the day after that. When you put it that way, it sounds rather hopeless. But God did something about our temptations. He sent his Son to face them too, and where we have failed, Jesus prevailed. In stark contrast to the account of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The devil came to Jesus at a vulnerable moment in his life and kept throwing temptation after temptation at him. But how did Jesus respond? Flawlessly. He never once gave in. He remained sinless and perfect, and not just here or for this moment, but again and again and again. No matter how many temptations and no matter how many times they flew overhead, he never once allowed them to make a nest in his hair or a home in his heart. Jesus remained perfect throughout his life. And that's important for you. This is the way the writer to the Hebrews puts it. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. What did Jesus' blamelessness enable him to do for you? Enabled him to offer himself as the sacrifice for our sins. When Jesus died on a cross, it wasn't for any crime he had committed, but for every sin you have. He suffered the punishment that you deserve for every temptation you give into, And then he gave you the credit for his perfect life. So that now when God looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees the sinlessness of his son credited to you. God did something about temptation. He sent his son to face it and to be victorious over it. He sent Jesus to resist it and to save you from it. Of course, that doesn't mean you will never face temptation in this life. Temptations are like magpies, right? They're everywhere all the time. Even when we scare one away, they come back in full force the next day. But your situation is not hopeless. You may not be able to stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. Not only has God given you salvation through his son's perfection, but he even gives you promises to help strengthen and protect you from the temptations you will continue to face day after day. This is the promise he makes through the Apostle Paul. No temptation has overtaken you, Except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What promises does God give you about when temptation confronts you? First, that you're not alone. Chances are that there is at least one other person in this room who faces the exact same temptation that you do. Second, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In other words, God will never put you in a situation where sin is your only option. And the second promise ties in well with the third. God will always give you a way out. Think back on the temptation of Jesus. What was his way out of every one of the devil's temptations? It was the word of God. The Bible cuts through every one of the devil's lies and empty promises. You have that same word, and it is your greatest weapon against temptation. Is the devil trying to sow the seed of doubt in your heart? Does God love me? Will God provide for and protect me? Is God holding out on me? The answer to each of those doubts is in the Bible. It might be difficult to remember what the Bible has to say in the moment, but how can we help ourselves recite God's word the same way Jesus did to the devil in the desert? We have to be in God's word. Whether that means going to church on Sunday morning, reading your personal devotion throughout the week, sitting down to memorize verses and passages of the Bible like you did when you were in grade school, or all of the above. Your single greatest weapon against temptation is the Word of God. So use it. But amazingly, as effective as God's Word is at fighting temptation, it is not the only weapon God gives you the writer to Hebrews, adds another weapon. He says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What other weapon does God give us to help fight temptation? He gives us each other. Martin Luther once said, When you're tempted by sadness or despair or some other pang of conscience, then eat, drink, and seek to converse with people. That's true because of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You are not the only person to face whatever temptation overtakes you. There are some in this room who have already faced it and overcome it, and others still who are still struggling with it. You can work together to spur one another on and to encourage one another. God gives us his word as the greatest weapon against temptation, but he gives us each other too. God builds in escape hatches to every temptation and will never put you in a situation where sin is your only option. Of course, we won't win every battle or fend off every magpie from making a nest in our hair, but the key to victory does not lie in our strength or skill in wielding the weapons God gives us. The ultimate victory is ours through Jesus, who faced the same temptations we do but overcame them, who lived a sinless life and sacrificed himself on a cross for you, whose innocent blood cleanses you of all your sin and gives you the sure and certain hope of heaven. That's what Jesus wants us to remember when he teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Amen.